Hey, dear saints, you're listening to Preaching Christ Crucified on Double-Edged Sword. Sermons from Pastor Kilgo, preached at Redeemer Lutheran Church in Lawrence, Kansas. We pray that as you hear God's word, you would be strengthened in faith and love and rejoice in the joy of the Lord's promises and kindness. In the name of Jesus, amen. Dear Saints, Merry Christmas. When we read the scriptures, one of the things we ought to always be doing is looking for the surprise. The Lord is always surprising us, or should be, in the scriptures. And this is where we can see that one of the dangers that's always sitting there for us as as Christians, especially as we become older and more acquainted with these things, is that they can lose their surprise. The, their familiarity can, can also breed a, a sort of, uh, not necessarily contempt, but um, nonchalantness about these things. But the Lord is always surprising us. He's never doing what we would expect him to do if we didn't know how the story went. And this is true all over the place. This is what Jesus does with his miracles. The the manner in which he heals people is always a surprise. The fact that he heals people or raises people from the dead is always a surprise. The way that he teaches, especially in his parables, there's always these surprises, these shocks that are in there. But you get this especially throughout the whole course of Scripture in the Lord's dealing with humanity, the way in which he interacts with humanity itself. Going all the way back into the garden and with the fall. Now, we, we had this uh, last week, or last night, um, in Genesis 3, where uh, Adam and Eve have uh, disobeyed the command of the Lord. They've eaten of the tree that they're not supposed to eat, um, and they've gone and they've, they've hidden themselves from the Lord at the sound of him walking through the garden because they're afraid of him. Now, that makes sense, but what doesn't make sense is what happens. Now, if you're reading this, and you have to kind of step back away from the text a little bit, and you have to read it as though you don't know what's going to happen. That's a little bit hard. You have to work at that, but that's where you get the surprise again. What's going to happen to Adam and Eve? They're afraid of the Lord. They fall, and they've disobeyed his only command. What's going to happen? You're pretty sure that Adam and Eve are done for. After all, God has promised. On the day in which you eat of it, dying, you're going to die. So certainly this is where that's going to take place. But then here's the surprise. God shows up, and this is the promise given when he rebukes the serpent. How about, says God, instead of you dying, I die? Surprise. Or you go into, for example, uh, when when, uh, David is sitting in his big cedar house and he's meditating to himself and he says, behold, I, I sit in this great house of cedar, but the Lord doesn't have any house to dwell in. I know what I'll do. I'll go and build a house for him. Well, the Lord didn't command David to build a house. The Lord didn't need a house to be built for him. And so it's initially Nathan gives him the thumbs up, but then when Nathan goes, he gets a vision from the Lord and he's told uh, to go back to, uh, to David and to rebuke him. But in the process, instead of just like, what, what do you expect is going to happen? You expect that the Lord's just going to like toss David off the throne and put somebody else there that's actually going to listen to the Lord. But no, that's not what he does. He says, how about instead I set up your throne forever? 
that your offspring will sit on your throne for all eternity. And that's Jesus. That's the surprise. Or we get into the, the building of both the, the tabernacle from Moses that we had in the Old Testament reading, or the building of the temple finally by Solomon. And when they're finally built, Moses builds everything and he takes the Ark of the Covenant, he puts the testimony, the, the commandments of the Lord inside, and he puts the mercy seat on top, the poles, and he takes it in, and he sets the veil. Or when uh, Solomon finishes and he prays this beautiful prayer uh, of consecration for the temple, and in both instances, the same thing happens. The glory of the Lord fills the temple. But that is not what you expect is going to happen. If you're reading that, you figure, okay, sure, God's going to look down and he's going to be happy. Or God's going to like send a prophet with some sort of uh, commending message to either Moses or, or Solomon for the good job that they did. But no, God actually comes down to earth and fills the glory with his actual presence, with his glory, for the sake of his people. That's the surprise. And that's what's happening in St. John's introduction this morning, in the introduction to the, uh, to the gospel. This is St. John's, essentially, his birth narrative. Whereas uh, Matthew and Luke give us a birth narrative as though you're on the ground with the shepherds, St. John gives us a birth narrative that is as though you are God looking at the thing. This is the birth of Jesus from God's perspective. You can think of it that way. And here's the surprise then, as you're reading along. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. And so what do we expect is going to happen? That the Lord who is the light fighting against the darkness, the Lord who is the one who has created everything and all these creatures, and they, they've rejected him. He came to them and they didn't know him. He came to the people and they loved the darkness rather than the light, as St. John will say later. What do we expect of the Lord? And this is what we meditated on some last night, that we expect that the Lord is going to show up with his wrath, with his condemnation, with his, with his complete destruction of these people who have rejected him. But instead, you get this wonderful surprise. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have beheld his glory, glory as of the only Son of the Father, full of grace and truth. It's not we, we beheld the, the terrible, frightening God. No, we beheld the Son of the Father, full of grace and truth. That's the surprise. Now, the problem is, as we look at these things, not only do we become so familiar that we lose the surprise of these wonderful texts of Scripture, but also, we, we, along with that, we tend to look at them with some sort of indifference, as though this is not that big of a deal for God to become flesh, especially there. This is, in fact, one of the, the two great mysteries of the faith. Uh, Luther has this wonderful little excerpt uh, in, in one of his commentaries on John where he's talking about this, um, this great reality, this mystery of God putting on the flesh of humanity. And he tells this story, and it is, uh, full disclosure, it's an apocryphal story. Uh, this doesn't actually happen, but it's a very nice illustration nonetheless. Luther tells a story about how there's this man who's standing in, in church, and um, as the... Uh, as the words, um, the word became flesh, are being sung, that he neither, uh, he, he, he just stands there. He doesn't bow his head or remove his hat or anything. 
And then later on, when the, when the words of the Nicene Creed are being uh, chanted, that he doesn't do anything there either. He just stands there like a stick in the mud. And up behind him comes the devil, and the devil smacks him upside the head so that he like, you know, spins in a circle. And the devil starts rebuking him and says, here you are as a man, and you have just heard that God became you. Whereas if, God, if I had heard that God became an angel, I would not only bow my head, but my entire body to the ground, but you just stand here like a stick in the mud. Now, Luther uses some more choice words than that, but we won't repeat those. Uh, and, but his point is well taken. That this is such an amazing thing. This is, one of the, again, one of the great mysteries of the faith. The first is that God is triune, that there is one God in three persons. That is the greatest mystery of the faith. The one right next to that is that God is man. And, and that, that should make us do something. That there should be some sort of reaction that we have. Every single time we hear that, every, especially at Christmas when we're meditating on this particularly, that God has become man. Not an, not an angel. God has become flesh and blood. And that he's become flesh and blood for a very particular purpose. He's become flesh and blood to redeem humanity. This, this is a point that the author of the Hebrews, uh, the preacher of the Hebrews, makes in, in such a wonderful way. He says, since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things, so that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil, and to free all those who through the fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. For certainly he does not put on the substance of the angels, but he puts on the substance of the seed of Abraham. Therefore, he had to be made like his brothers in every respect, so that he would become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. So you get not only this wonderful proclamation that God doesn't put on the substance of angels, he puts on the substance of the seed of Abraham, of flesh and blood, and he does that for a very particular purpose, to free us from the devil, to free us from the bonds of death, and to make propitiation for the sins of the people, to shed his blood so that we would be received by the Lord well, as his children. That's what we're called. Since, they're, since the children share him flesh and blood, he had to be made like his brothers. Not like his creation, like his brothers in every respect. That is what makes the incarnation of our Lord Jesus putting on our flesh and blood such a wonderful, in addition to mysterious, that the reason why Jesus has flesh and blood is so that there's a body to hang the sins of the entire world on, so that your sins can actually hang on his body. So that he has hands to be pierced, so that he has a back to be scourged, a side to be pierced. Jesus is born a baby because he's going to die a man. He's placed into a manger, into a feeding trough, because he is the very bread that has come down from heaven. Jesus is placed under the law in order to redeem all of us who are under the law. And this is then not only a surprise, it should be a surprise and it should remain a surprise, but it is a joyful surprise. Because we can be surprised in one of two ways. We can either be surprised because God showed up and he's about to destroy us, or we can be surprised because God has shown up in Jesus to redeem us and to save us and to bring us into eternity. That God is man, man to deliver. 
Now, this, this whole great mystery and this whole joyful reality and the surprise of it all is, is summarized in, in a marvelous way in the hymn that we just sang uh, from Luther. And so maybe we ought to just close with, with these words and hear them again and the, the great joy and surprise that comes out of this. We praise you, Jesus, at your birth, clothed in flesh, you came to earth. The virgin bears a sinless boy, and all the angels sing for joy. Now in the manger we may see God's Son from eternity, the gift of God's eternal throne here clothed in our poor flesh and bone. The Virgin Mary's lullaby calms the infant Lord Most High. Upon her lap content is he who keeps the earth and sky and sea. The light eternal breaking through made the world to gleam anew. His beams have pierced the core of night. He makes us children of the light. The very Son of God sublime enters into human time to lead us from this world of cares to heaven's courts as blessed heirs. In poverty he came to earth, showing mercy by his birth. He makes us rich in heavenly ways as we, like angels, sing his praise. All this for us our God has done, granting love through his own Son. Therefore, all Christendom rejoice and sing his praise with endless voice. Alleluia. In the name of Jesus. Amen. The peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, guard your hearts and your minds through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Merry Christmas. Thanks for listening to Preaching Christ Crucified on Double-Edged Sword, sermons by Pastor Kilgo at Redeemer Lutheran Church in Lawrence, Kansas. We'd like to invite you to join us for church, Sundays at 10 a.m. and Wednesdays at 7 p.m. We also have Bible study at 9 a.m. on Sunday mornings and at other times throughout the week. Please visit our website at redeemer-lawrence.org for more information. Thanks again for listening, and we'll catch you next time.